Welcome to The Power of Data, the podcast by Dun & Bradstreet. Data is everywhere, and there is more created every second of every day. Join us to hear from leaders unlocking the value of data. Welcome to The Power of Data podcast. I'm joined today by Jana Winter, CIO, Head of Generali UK IT and Global Corporate and Commercial IT. That's a mouthful. Welcome, Jana. Thank you. Jana, before we get stuck into insurance, you've had a a decorated career across a number of different areas of industry, including having spent time at Gartner and at Capgemini. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your career so far? I have spent my entire life in IT, and my focus has always been on the end-to-end responsibility and how all of the pieces come together. My current job as Chief Information Officer, that has always been my dream. Also in consulting, it has always been the emphasis on how wide, how deep, how complex things can be. Four of my IT transformations cost two billion pounds in total. So they have been big transformations, but there's nothing that compares with the full ownership of the IT of a complex company. I'm going to come back to the point you just made on end-to-end responsibility and how it all comes together. That's a nice catchphrase already for the data component of this. But for those that aren't familiar with Generali, can you tell us a little bit about the business, about its scale, and about your areas of responsibility? Generali is an Italian company. It started about 200 years ago, one of the first insurance companies. It is one of the largest by gross return premium. It is operates in 50 countries. And I would describe it as a very, very strong, prominent player in Western Europe and with growing prominence in Eastern Europe, Central Europe, and Asia. It has a wealth of licensed business, including, obviously, insurance and asset management. I'm just going to have one claim to fame. Well, some of the loveliest buildings you can see in Italy I owned by Generali. That's awesome. I, I'm not going to tell you who told me this, but I hear they also own some of the greatest vineyards in the world as well. That is absolutely correct and tested. Yeah, I've tested it too, actually. <laughs> wow, 200 years old. Combine that with DMV's history and we've got nearly 400 years between mm-hmm. us. That's quite something. I know one of your key priorities has been creating a master data management system an essential part for anyone looking to build a future-proof strategy upon which to grow. How has this transformed data management and governance, and what benefits have you seen across the business from having that cohesive data strategy in place? For a moment, I will go into an IT world, because it's all about the labels, definition, and what people mean by that. So instead of having a religious war over terminology for us, master data management is not right piece of data once and it will propagate throughout all of the systems. But it's much more, do we know what data is where? And most importantly, how do we link it to use it? Again, over my IT career, I have seen a lot of very expensive and failed attempts to have one physically existing store of data, which is the master, tidy it up, clean it up, lock it away, don't touch it again. In the world of reality, We have to admit that we have multiple countries, multiple businesses, multiple territories, multiple revenues. So for us, master data management is much more of knowing who our customer is, where they are, identify them, and then have the strength and the technology to link all of that and use it either for analytics, for reporting, for new market opportunities. So again, we are being strong to know that data will exist in many places 
Whilst the emphasis of master data management is how we link it. It's a really interesting point you make there about the linkage. So it's not just the what or the where. It's not just having clean, structured data. It's about the linkage. One of the things when, and I've only been at Dunham Bread Street for six months now, that I assessed when I came in, the thing that made Dunham Bread Street unique was its ability to link. Exactly. Without that linkage, data sits in isolation. It doesn't help break down silos. It doesn't help digital transformation. So linkage, I think, is a key word that we're going to come back to a, a fair amount, I think, in our conversation. Let's talk about the insurance industry. The insurance industry fascinates me. I've not worked in it, so it's been an outside in view. I enjoy the conversations I have with my father-in-law, who's in the insurance industry. I think he's had a good time in the insurance industry, truth be told. What role does data play within the industry? And how do you think that is evolving? So... It may sound simplistic, but insurance is all about the data because it's very rare for the insurance industry to have a tangible product. So it's all about the data. In a very simple approach, it is data in, data out, and in the middle, what do you do with it? And it may sound simple, but all these three steps, data in, data out, in the middle, what do you do with it? If you multiply everything by a big number, let's say a thousand, two thousand, three thousand. When you multiply it, there are about a few billion ways of going about it. Then my responsibility as the head of IT is to provide my business with simple approach to data. Again, on the data in, we receive vast amount of information and data from various sources in various formats with various frequency, various importance. And it's not simply the underwriting data but also the data that helps us put the pieces together in the middle. I'm going to mention Daniel Brastri to say, without the dance numbers, the unique numbers, we would not have been able to do the middle bit of how the data links. Now, on the data out, how we use it, the obvious candidates, obviously, for our own uses, for applications, for reporting, regulatory reporting, insight analysis, regulatory reporting, at It's in insurance specifically, it's all about the data. I have worked a lot with banking. Maybe in banking, data is a little bit less prominent, but in insurance, in my view, it's all about the data. I always get nervous when I'm talking to a technologist that I'm not going to understand things. So when you talk about simplifying it, I get very excited. That was a really beautiful snapshot Mm -hmm. of exactly what happens. Insurance is all about data, data in, data out, and then that component in the middle, what you do with it, the insights you take from it is the important part. So let's talk about those those benefits a little bit. What are some of the benefits that an insurance firm can look to extract from sensible data usage and analytics? Talking about the benefits, I'm going to give you two very specific examples because I'm sure that each company has its own vision, how they want to use data, whether it is for business benefits, whether it's for regulatory compliance. But I'm going to give you two examples. One is risk management, especially for an insurance company Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. ours. We operate in 70 countries. So if we're underwriting a risk, and the risk is property-related, and our customer is corporate and commercial customer, a big company that operates in, let's say, 40 of our 70 countries, are we going to approach it as 40 different countries with 40 different risk exposures? Or are we going to be able to aggregate this and analyze it? Hey, very specific. Now we're again in the hurricane period of the year. Do we take partial local view or do we take the global view? My IT strategy is again simple. 
which is divide, conquer, and integrate. So including for our data, I'm zooming into the, the data trend is, on one hand, we have more and more data providers. Mm-hmm. Every day they, mm-hmm. there's a new vendor on the market. On the other hand, we don't have the capacity to use all of this. So we need to be very selective what data we use, for what purposes, how it snaps into our picture, and how it's generally for business benefit. So let's get back to the risk exposure analysis. That's a perfect example, because if you want to insure, for example, a property in Hong Kong, how quickly does fire propagate from one building to the next building, given the close proximity? Again, do we want to be only parochial and think about general exposure? Or do we know, want to know what is around the buildings that we're insuring? Data is absolutely king in that. So this is about the example about risk exposure. A second example I would like to give you is portfolio management. It's not purely about the risk, but again, portfolio is that end-to-end word of what do we have? How do we manage it? Where do we make money? Where don't we make money? We have a business strategy. What is the evidence that our business strategy is working? So unless we have the business strategy pinpointed by IT delivery, and then the actual capability to get the data and judge that, we may be making some very good deals and on balance losing money. So again, data for portfolio management is absolutely paramount. Just thinking about parallel industries. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the financial services industry went under a huge inflection point in 2008, spurned on a ton of innovation. The insurance industry hasn't yet had that. One of those innovations driven by regulation in financial services was PSD2 and open banking. A real need to open up competitivity in the marketplace for the consumer and ultimately driven in turn by sharing data. Do you think the insurance industry has a similar moment coming? Very good question. And I'm discussing this exact subject in the industry with my peers, with business colleagues. My personal opinion, at the moment, there's no immediate trigger. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing equivalent to what has been happening uh, in banking since 2008. There's even an initiative on open insurance. It's yet to be defined what it means and what is going to be that trigger to get the insurance companies in action. So if you mention open insurance, question number one, what would it mean? It's still an open question. But from, again, with my opinion, IFRS 17 is one of those triggers. It gives us the imperative to think differently about how we manage our data, how we break down our data. And then, yes, we do have to do it for regulation purposes, Mm -hmm. but it will give us the opportunity and sometimes the budget to bring a bit more discipline in our data houses. That's a really good point. I I remember I was working at Barclays at the time during the, the financial crisis, and that's exactly what it did. It woke everyone up, and everyone had to think about governance. It was a forcing factor. You think about the sliding doors moment, what would have happened if 2008 hadn't happened? Well, the fintech industry, certainly in the UK, wouldn't be anywhere near what it is today. The customer wouldn't be as empowered as it is today. Technology advancements might not have been as dramatic in this space. New business models wouldn't have emerged. Inflection points definitely need triggers. I think you think you're absolutely right. And I look forward to seeing what that trigger is in the insurance industry, because change has definitely been that little bit slower. But it hasn't been slow for Generali. I know there's there's a ton of stuff that you guys are focused on around your digital transformation journey that will 
ultimately secure your place in the upper echelons of insurance firms around the world. When asked what the criteria for delivering digital transformation and enabling future innovation meant, you've been quoted, and sorry to quote you back, you've been quoted saying, overcoming the practical challenges of legacy systems and IT silos. So I guess the question is, how can insurance firms and other businesses overcome these challenges and create a master data system to provide a single source of truth? My IT strategy is divide, conquer, and integrate, which again, Sounds a very pragmatic approach, and I hope it is a very pragmatic approach. But specifically with legacy systems, it is about the biggest problem in insurance. And my biggest transformations have been all about modernization of legacy systems. We're talking about tens of millions, sometimes hundreds of millions of pounds transformations. So it is more and more rare to be able to raise such budgets for huge transformations. So how we enable the digitalization is similar to how do you eat an elephant one slice at a time. And where IT has responsibility is to be able to first quantify, second, imagine how that big elephant is. What are the slices and what are the, if you want the sequences, what are the safe steps of executed that? It is a very practical point because if you have in an insurance company, let's say average insurance company, of mid-size, you may have up to 20 policy administration systems, up to 30 claims administration systems. Mm -hmm. If you are asked to deliver digital transformation, usually people think about the visible part, whether it's distributors, brokers, customers, data, data analytics, and it sounds really cool. And it is. But then the complexity of IT delivery is, how do I deal with 20 policy, 30 claims, administration systems, and if I have to implement one change, how do I do it in 50 different systems? And the divide, conquer, and integrate strategy is not a simple one, mm. because some of these mammoths, I just switched from elephants to mammoths, but <laughs> never mind. Some of these big legacy systems that we have, they're absolutely fundamental to our businesses. They have been in place for 20, 30 years. Again, I'm talking generically about the entire insurance industry. To even say, I don't like this system, I would like to go and replace it, that takes on average three to four years, 10 to 50 million, talking about big systems. How often can we afford that? Again, the legacy systems, how many of them can we actually say, dear system, I cannot afford to replace you, mm. I would like to be able to integrate you. Can you please let me have an interface into you so I can send you a claim and you can give me something back. I can send you down in Brass Street number and you can send me something back. Even that kind of thin veneer integration is not an easy exercise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that, that's why with my divide, conquer and integrate, I still have a lot of old-fashioned integration, the good old-fashioned ETL, extract, transform, load. That kind of technology has been in place for the last 40 years. Now we have our approach of how we move that to services. I'm not going to comment whether it's microservices, macroservices, because that usually starts a third world war in IT world. Yeah. But again, we need to have our services because that's the only way our systems will be able to talk to each other. So to me, the most important cornerstones of my IT strategy is how do I deal with the data? Do I know where it is? How do I link it? That's on one side the data. And the other side is with my integration, we're going all about enterprise service bus, 
all about API management because, again, that's the way we're eating the elephant. Stephen Daffron, the president of Dun & Bradstreet, has a military background. He would love the divide, conquer, integrate strategy. You know how I get my strategies from yeah. military books. <laughs> I love that. And the vegetarians aren't necessarily going to love the eating an elephant analogy, but I liked it. So thank you. This podcast is forming part of a wider series that we have under the Accelerating Industries brand. And innovating insurance is a very hot topic within that. We're going to talk a little bit later on video so our listeners can hear more about how to take operations in 40 countries and make it one view, global, how to link all of the data that's required to create that unique output that Generali has. Before we do that, I would like to talk through a couple questions more about the personal side of Yana. You're an extremely busy lady. How do you manage your time? If you had to give our listeners the best piece of advice you could, how do you fit as much as you can into your day? Prioritize. I have accepted that there's physically no way I can do everything that is accepted of me. So I have the simple principle and the promise and over deliver, but genuinely prioritize. And I'm not afraid to say no. Okay, that's good. I rarely say no, <laughs> so it's definitely something I could learn. I always ask people about mentors. I've, I've been very lucky to have some wonderful mentors through Indeed. my career. One of my favorite quotes is, if I have seen further, it's by standing on the shoulders of giants. And I think that becomes increasingly true in business where the world gets more and more complex every day. Who have been some of your mentors and role models through your career? I had a long career in, in university as a university lecturer, director of undergraduate studies, and my first mentors have been in academia. And my biggest lesson from my mentors has been, we're all cosmopolitan people. We all have different backgrounds. Don't impose your culture. Understand that all of our students, all of our colleagues are from different backgrounds and take the best out of every single area. Including I moved from Bulgaria to England about 30 years ago. And you can hear that even 30 years later, I still have the Bulgarian accent. I was concerned about it. And my vice chancellor at Brunel University, he was one of my mentors, had exactly this advice. Relax. Not everyone needs to have Buckinghamshire accent. Just take the best of your culture and bring it. Take the best of the cultures that's coming to Brunel University and use it. I'm delighted to hear you say that. You know, one of the reasons I love London so much, and people who've listened to other podcasts know that I tend to get passionate and emotional about London as, as the greatest city in the world, but it's true. You know, it is a rich tapestry or patchwork quilt of different contributions, and that's what makes it great. And I, I think that will be continually, Brexit or no Brexit, what continues to propel London. It is a cosmopolitan city that gets the best out of everyone and accepts everyone. It really is a... Uh, a pleasure to hear you say that. Jana, we're moving from microphones to video cameras. Thank you so much for your time on the podcast. It's been really lovely to talk to you. Thank you, Sam. Pleasure. Find out more about how Dun & Bradstreet can help your business be better. Contact us at marketinguk at dnb.com. And remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts.